Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hello, everyone. I am really excited about today's episode. I'm going to be talking about developmental delays, and we have a special guest who happens to be my wife, Rachel Anderson. And we're going to be talking about the developmental delays that we've seen with our daughter, Maya Jane, more specifically speech and motor delays. But before I get started with that, I want to share a little bit about what inspired me to do this episode. So a local rich author, her name is Lauren Oakey, has written this beautiful illustrated uh, children's book. It's called Waiting for Adeline. I purchased the book and read it earlier this week, and it was a little emotional to read, mainly because the story, the little girl Adeline, it follows her journey with developmental delays and speech delay. So in the book, the family is like trying to adapt to helping the girl to communicate in non-traditional ways uh, due to her speech delay. And I think it is much needed in the space of children's literature just because it gives a voice to some diversity. But also, I think for us as parents to both my wife and I to have read this book, uh, is very validating because having gone through early intervention and challenges with our daughter walking and talking, it was it resonated with us. So uh, I highly recommend in this episode show notes, I do include information about the book and where you can find it. So definitely check out that link. Not only does it support this local author, Lauren Oki, using the link that I put in the show notes also supports this podcast. So it's truly a win-win-win. But to get into this episode, before I share the interview that I did with my wife, I want to give a little bit of the clinical background. So um, the disclaimer to this is that while I am a licensed therapist qualified to give DSM-5 uh, TR diagnoses, the DSM-5 is like the big book of mental um, disorders, I am not qualified to diagnose my own child due to bias. You wouldn't want a doctor performing an operation on their own child, right? So I'm not going to diagnose my own child because I'm too close to the situation. But the relevant diagnosis that is kind of going to be covered here is called speech sound disorder. Uh, it is in the section of the DSM under neurodevelopmental disorders. So that is the section of the book where you also find your autism spectrum disorder, your attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So a lot of those things that were a lot of people are familiar with, it's in that same section of the book. So I'm just going to give you verbatim kind of what the criteria are more as an educational, not to specifically diagnose my child. And then later on in the episode, we'll get into that interview where we'll kind of unpack the idea a little bit more. So speech sound disorder is a persistent difficulty with speech sound production that interferes with speech intelligibility or prevents verbal communication of messages. The disturbance causes limitations in effective communication that interfere with social participation, academic achievement, or occupational performance individually or in any combination. The onset of symptoms is in the early developmental period, and the difficulties are not attributable to congenital 
or acquired conditions such as cerebral palsy, cleft palate, deafness or hearing loss, traumatic brain injury, or other medical or neurological conditions. So basically, and we'll get into this in the interview later, you got to eliminate other things that could possibly be calling, uh, causing this speech delay, which my wife and I talk about with our daughter. Uh, we eliminated the hearing issue by making sure that her hearing was tested and that she got tubes put in. But I just wanted to give kind of that brief introduction to set the tone for this topic that we're going to be discussing today. So without further ado, do, I'm going to get into that interview. All right. So to give a little bit more insight on this topic of speech delay and motor delay, I have my wife joining me on the episode. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about our daughter, Maya Jane, and um, some of the experiences we've had with her. So before we get started, explain a little bit about your education background and what you do for a living. All right, my name is Rachel, and I am a licensed school counselor. I'm licensed in pre-K through 12th grade, but I currently work in an elementary school, um, working with social emotional learning and social emotional development. So I have a little bit of background in child development, and I use it daily in my job. So when did you first get concerned about her walking delay? And describe that experience a little bit. So I've always had a little bit of anxiety surrounding our child. I'm not somebody who has a diagnosed anxiety disorder or anything, but since really getting pregnant with her, I've had a lot of anxiety kind of surrounding her. And so I have to put myself into two different places sometimes and say, is this my anxiety or is this a true concern? And so once she had kind of hit a lot of her other milestones and walking was really where she wasn't hitting it, she was holding on to things and kind of helping herself walk across the room. But as far as like actually taking unassisted steps, that wasn't happening. Um, I think I really started to become concerned around the one year to 15 month mark. Um, And then once I took her to her um, one-year appointment, that's when they kind of said, well, if she's not walking by this point, give us a call. Or if she's not walking by this point, give us a call. And so I just kept attributing it it to the fact that she was at home and maybe not getting out as much. We weren't going to grocery stores. We weren't going out places where she was able to see other examples of it. And... um, so and once for context, she, listeners, uh, our daughter was born not even three months before the COVID-19 kind of lockdown started to happen. Right, exactly. <clears throat> exactly. So I kind of kept attributing things to just lack of exposure. Um, and so once she was 18 months, that's when a doctor kind of rudely um, told me that she would need to have all of this intervention and what I would need to go seek out early intervention, which we'll probably get into this later. But at the time, I I always thought was simply for kids who were at risk of other delays and things like that. And to me, I was very much in this mindset of, that's not my daughter. My daughter just hasn't been exposed to this. And so um, I was very resistant to it at that time. Um, But the day before she turned 19 months, she took those unassisted steps and she truly has not stopped moving since. (laughs) Yeah. 
And I think one thing that I've noticed in our parenting dynamic is that while Rachel just explained to you all that she's not diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, I am. And I talk about this a lot. I have panic disorders. So I have a regular anxiety, but also panic attacks. And whereas Rachel didn't really deal with a lot of anxiety before becoming pregnant, when she was pregnant with Maya Jane and when Maya Jane was born, whereas I can get anxious about, you know, what type of phone case is on my phone or <laughs> if global warming is going to take us all out and that kind of stuff, like uh, the anxiety doesn't, you know, specifically pick a certain target, right? When it came to Maya Jane, I haven't had a lot of anxiety. So it's almost like we uh, balance each other out in that I'll be anxious about everything. But when it comes to Maya Jane, somehow I have like some built in like chill pill. So you know, when it came to not walking, I was like, Oh, well, you know, she'll do it when she's ready. Or even uh, Maya Jane had a seizure last it was it last year? Mm-hmm. Or earlier this year. And while, of course, that's scary, when I got the call, I was mowing the grass and, you know, Rachel called me freaking out and stuff like that. And it's interesting how unexpected things outside of parenting would freak me out and I would go into a tailspin. I remember being the calm person. I was like, okay, well, you know, go over to the preschool, see what the ambulance is going to do and stuff like that. And then I continued to mow the grass. Um, so, you know, whereas I would be anxious about a lot of things, her developmental delays, her walking, and now her speech delays didn't stress me out as much, but your experience is a little bit different in that you, you work in education and you kind of see how that pans out when, you know, kids enter the education system and stuff. So I just thought that was interesting to kind of share that juxtaposition that we have going on. Can I add one more thing? Um, So I do have ADHD and I've had, I've been diagnosed with it mostly as an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. And part of that came with when I was in college, I thought I was depressed. I thought I had depression and went to a doctor for that. And that's when they kind of opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of times women, especially who have ADHD or specifically in that area tend to present with a lot of the comorbid kind of feelings or whatever it might be. So for me, I kind of knew having a baby that I would be um, susceptible to having postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And so I really found that I had the prepartum and postpartum anxiety. I definitely feel like I'm in a, a much better place now where I can say, this is the anxiety speaking. This is the overthinking part of my brain talking and I just kind of have to balance it out a little bit to say yes I have these concerns but if I've brought it up to the doctor and they're not concerned or if I've talked to other people about it and they're not concerned I had to turn off Google for sure like when it came to Mm. Maya Jane because (laughs) for me it was like I would Google things and be like oh my gosh she is it's autism (laughs) Well, everything does lead to autism. And that would not change how I feel about my child at all. And if that's what it comes out to be, that is completely and totally fine. But when you're reading all of these things online, and you just see this like devastation, that's not helpful, right? When it comes to just trying to figure your child out and taking it day by day. And I remember you told me something. I don't even remember when it was maybe like a year or two ago right when 
all of this was happening, you just said something along the lines of, she's Maya Jane, right? We're going to get to know her as a person. She's not whatever Google says or whatever even a doctor says sometimes. They see her for five minutes at a time sometimes. Mm -hmm. They don't know her. We, we will get to know her. And she has her own development in the way that she's going. And I've really kind of taken on that mindset now when I approach a lot of these appointments and a lot of the things with her is I think she's developing fantastically. And I think she's a genius mm -hmm. in so many ways because of she's on Maya Jane's developmental track, not on yeah. <laughs> whoever else's. Mm -hmm. And just to add a little context, you had mentioned the ADHD. I, when I see clients who are diagnosed with ADHD, there's also a high, you, you said there's a comorbidity with depression. A good percentage of folks who have ADHD also have anxiety, at least in my clinical practice. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how you had a postpartum kind of pattern. Mm -hmm. And a lot of like mood and anxiety disorders can do that because I mean, having a baby, the, the hormone fluctuation and sometimes like things that were existing on, you know, in the background or whatever kind of come to the forefront because you're literally been ripped inside out physically, but also mo emotionally. So, right. I mean, the um, hormones that come with pregnancy too. Like, I think it even started when I got pregnant, I was anxious every day thinking I'm going to mm -hmm. lose this baby or something's going to happen to the pregnancy. Um, mm -hmm. Just and you all have the a history of that. infertility issues in your family as well. And we had, I mean, we did have a little bit of trouble getting pregnant. It was a, very much a surprise when we did because we had just kind of stopped as far as like trying with doctor's assistance. The fertility stuff, point. yeah. Mm -hmm. Support for this episode comes from Go Heal, Bitch, which is a black and woman owned clothing brand dedicated to normalizing therapy with its candor and sense of humor. I love my GHB t-shirt and custom hoodie, so I'm excited to offer listeners of this show an exclusive discount. Just go to GoHealBitch.com and use promo code JohnZell, spelled J-O-H, N like Nancy, Z like Zebra, E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, for 5% off your order. Using my code gets you a discount and supports this podcast, which is a win-win. Details about this offer are also available in this episode's show notes. And now back to the show. Well, getting into the next question, um, it's similar to the last one, but when did you get concerned about Maya Jane's speech and like what signs did you notice? Two, two years old. Um, it was at her two-year-old. And listeners, she's about to hit her third birthday in December, so for context. Yeah. So before they're two, they kind of have appointments all the time. Um, and then once they turn two, it's pretty much yearly, if not every other year um, for those annual checkups. So at two, they give you this whole questionnaire all about, I mean, it's really screening for delays, autism, that kind of thing. And that sent me into a little bit of a tailspin, I'll be honest, because it was just like, she wasn't meeting these. And I'm sitting here saying, well, she's a COVID baby. She's been home. She hasn't had experience in daycare. She hasn't, at this point, she hadn't gone to daycare yet. And so Donzel and I did sit down and had the, had the conversation of, she's had this great time at home. You've been able to stay home with her. 
I was home for mm -hmm. a little bit as well when school was virtual. And so it was like, maybe, maybe it's time that we get her socialized a little bit, get her out into the world. And maybe that would help this. Um, and three days into daycare, she did get COVID, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, I think it has been We avoid COVID for, for two years <laughs> right. by having me be a stay-at-home dad slash working full-time. And we think, oh, let's get her some socialization. And literally the first day she catches COVID and gives it to us, it was quite a delight. <laughs> oh, the memories. Um, yeah, yeah, but she, I have seen her really thrive in a daycare setting. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, I think I then read, it was simply just a post that somebody had made about early intervention and how there's such a stigma around it that you have to be a certain type of child or it has to be a certain type of parent where it's like parents who don't understand development or, or a child who is going to a certain direction. I don't know, but it was just reducing that stigma. And I said, you know what, what's the, what's the problem with looking into this? It's mm -hmm. available to everyone where you live, at least here in the United States. And yeah, so you're jumping into the next question, so I'll oh, go ahead and ask I'm it. just uh, ahead. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so share with the listeners the process of enrolling in intervention services, because that that's really what the what you're going to do, uh, listeners, if you have a child or know someone with a child who's kind of experiencing some of these symptoms and things that we've been talking about in this episode, you know, so talk about the, the process of enrolling in intervention, like what it is, what it does. Mm -hmm. Etc. Yeah. So um, normally through your counties, it's usually called a district, at least here in Virginia, there's different districts based on the city or the county that you live in. And it's through um, usually their mental health kind of section of that district. So community service board. Yes, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. But um, for it was really simple, honestly. I simply just called them up and I realized how much earlier she could have been getting these services. And, you know, I could go back and forth to say, oh, I should have, I could have, I would have. But to me, it was like, no, this was the perfect time. So they were able to get her in. And I remember it was over spring break in April that she had her evaluation. And for me, I had kind of already been... She had been in preschool for a couple of months at that point. Right. And we just noticed that she was still a little behind. You know, usually at two, they want them saying two-word sentences. And she was not even saying one word in a lot of ways. Like, she might be saying dada or mama or some of those other words, but she was absolutely not putting two words together. Um, it wasn't even fully signing a lot of things either. So that's really where I was at with that mindset. So... Um, they did the evaluation and it was a lot of information. Um, I remember feeling okay about it because I kind of already knew that a lot of this stuff was going on. But I remember you, Johnzel, had a little bit of like just feeling overwhelmed by the information that was given. Um, yeah. Because you do sit. You sit with an OT, an occupational therapist, and a speech therapist, and also a person that is specifically there to write the family plan. Mm -hmm. um, and they watch them. They play with them. They ask questions about development. Um, it was about a two- to three-hour experience mm -hmm. for this evaluation. And <clears throat> then from there, they say, well, here's the services. My nerves were shot by the end of that. I remember. It is. It's a lot. Needing to take one of my 
anxiety medications. Yeah, it was a lot. And I think if I had been any earlier on in my postpartum anxiety and, and kind of still in that Googling phase that I was in, it would not have gone as well as it did. But for me, I kind of had already told myself, she has this, she has some speech delays. Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's not. There's really not enough information right now for them to say COVID babies are X, Y, or Z, or COVID babies have had more trouble with speech. But I think there's a but huge I think, correlation. I think when we, were, when we were at that appointment, they were talking about how the benchmarks for development had been changed because of the pandemic. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I have asked about that actually just out of interest. And everyone I've worked with, um, with Maya Jane has said, personally, I absolutely think it's because of COVID. But at that time, at least, no, none of the actual people that write these benchmarks and stuff were saying it was because of that. They were just saying, oh, no, it's because of this. And um, it's just mm -hmm. because of time and things change or whatever. But um, they said, no, I definitely think that that's a huge part of it. So much of development comes from watching and interacting. And so when mm -hmm. a child is only interacting with one parent or two parents or mm -hmm. a dog, <laughs> they're not getting yeah. that. They're not seeing what it's like to go in a store and see somebody talk to somebody else in a store or mm -hmm. so much of the world is behind a mask, which I'm so thankful for masks and thankful for all of the things that um, help to reduce numbers during that time, but I can understand how you're not seeing people's lips moving. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't and know if we've gotten into the tube part of things, but that was another huge part of her development as well. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get to that. But yeah, if I, if I haven't explained it already, listeners, um, Maya Jane, like I said, was born a couple months before the COVID pandemic hit hard and everything went to online, being at home, shelter in place. So, you know, I was a, prior to the pandemic was, you know, a therapist seeing all of my clients in person. So when that first, uh, I think it was March of uh, 2020, when I switched completely to going online, I was working, you know, I was still seeing all my clients online from home. That went on for over two years. It was only, what, September, end of August, maybe, that I just started seeing clients on a limited basis in person again. But Maya Jane was, basically, I got to be a stay-at-home dad while still working, which was a, a treat, but also, you know, because dads don't really get to do that. But with that being said, Maya Jane, and, and also it's important to mention that she's the only child and will always be an only child because it's the only kid that we're having. But her development is relatively limited because I'm not a big, despite the fact that I'm, I do a social job for a living, I'm not a big talker when I'm at home. You know, I kind of save it for the profession, right? Like I give all of my introverted energy over to that and then I'm kind of, you know, a homebody, quiet person outside of that. So, you know, I was spending time with Maya Jane throughout the day, you know, getting her meals, like playing with her and things like that. But, uh, and you were working, right? Mm -hmm. So um, she's getting, you know, uh, communication and, you know, interaction, but even being around other kids, 
was is not really built into the family structure. And with the pandemic, we were scared to really send her to a daycare in part because I'm at home anyway, why pay for that? But two, how does COVID impact little kids? And there was no vaccine even really on the, like close to being available, right? So there was just a lot of factors around her inability to be around other kids to to get socialized. You know, with other people, especially if they have multiple kids, kids develop motor and speech actually at faster rates because they have siblings who can model it for them. But when you're an only child, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But also you could have motor and speech delays even if you have a bunch of siblings. So it's really a it's a, it's a really truly what comes down to how the brain is wired. It's that not, individual, yeah. Yeah. It's not about the parent or the siblings or anything. And that's another thing is I often wanted to find someone or something to blame. And it felt like I was a failure as a parent a little bit. And I would Mm -hmm. blame myself to say, well, if I had gotten her into early intervention earlier, or if I had put her into daycare earlier, if it was just all of these making excuses almost of like, well, it's got to be because of this, but maybe, Mm -hmm. and I just had to tell myself this, maybe it's just that my daughter's brain is wired differently and that's okay. Like I had Mm -hmm. to tell myself and give myself permission to say, it's okay to understand that she is developing differently. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's something is wrong with her. It just means that it's wired differently. And it's just part of understanding and learning your child. And mm-hmm. it's just been, a, yeah. it's, it just takes time, but yeah. Yeah. And I think for parents listening to this who can relate, I can briefly touch on the impact that such a delay has on just the family marriage dynamic, right? So you and I are very different personalities. And we, and I mentioned before how like, I'll be kind of calm and neutral about some of these things, whereas you're freaking out, right? The decision to like, put her in preschool or, or, even to start early intervention, we kind of butted heads on those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you were talking about preschool long before she actually started it. Whereas I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Whether it would be for a financial thing or just the the feeling afraid of this pandemic that that wasn't handled very well on a grand scale basis. And and then I think once the, the preschool started and the waterfall of information we got from early intervention and stuff, you, of course, a person would go to the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. For me, it was like, well, like, like you said, you kind of came to understanding like, oh, this is the perfect timing that we did it. Mm-hmm. But you, your mind kind of wandered to, it. well, what if I would have done this earlier? Would mm-hmm. that have improved her outcomes and stuff like that? I think it's important to mention how when you're co-parenting and there's different opinions and perspectives, because while you have, you know, your school counselor, you have uh, direct daily work with like early childhood development. I'm more of a, you know, I work with like adolescents, young adults and adults, but I'm also trained in development. I've taken the full range of like prenatal childhood, adolescent and adult and elderly development courses, you know. So we both are equipped on the information, but all of that really is irrelevant when you're dealing with the emotional component of this is your child. Right. Um, it's all textbook, to, right, that we have. And it's so much different when you have it in front of you versus in a yeah. textbook. Mm-hmm. 
and you can't really diagnose or treat your own child. But getting back to our question, how about, Rachel, you give a Cliff Notes definition for both occupational therapy and uh, speech therapy? Because um, as we mentioned, we got started with the early intervention process. And based on the assessment, Maya Jane met criteria to receive both occupational therapy and speech therapy. So explain to the listeners a little bit about what those things are in layman's terms. So I have been a lot more, I think, involved in the speech aspect of things. At the time of the evaluation, she did qualify for occupational therapy, mostly because of the, um, she had very great fine motor skills. Like she was able to lift things up. She was good at pinching and kind of those Mm -hmm. simple tasks. Pulling hair. Right. (laughs) Simple tasks with that. But as far as the more gross motor skills, which are things like walking and um, bigger, bigger developmental milestones, I guess that's where she was, had been a little bit delayed. So I will say at this point in early intervention, she probably would not qualify for OT. Um, I did learn with OT that it does have a lot to do with our sensory seeking OT stands for occupational therapy. Yes. Yes. So sensory would be like a sensory processing, how how you process your senses, how you process the world around you. And the, the occupational therapist did say that she is very sensory seeking. Um, She's a huge thumb sucker. That's how she calms herself and she puts a lot of things in her mouth. So that is kind of where OT works on how to meet those sensory needs so that she is not going out and eating dirt or going out and eating grass, <laughs> right? She will meet those needs in other ways, like jumping on a trampoline. She has a little mini trampoline or getting that energy out and and meeting those senses in other ways. So that's kind of OT, which is, again, I haven't worked as much with that. So it's a very not fully educated view on OT. But speech, I have actually met with a speech therapist at our house a few times. I've talked with her multiple times through phone calls and writing back and forth. And she's specifically working on those skills, um, which it starts with play. Um, it doesn't start with say this, say that. That's not what you're wanting the child to do. You want them to model, you want them to imitate. And so, so often the speech therapy appointments. Which is nonverbal speech. Right. So often the speech therapy appointments at first were like, what are we doing? I just spent 30 minutes and all you did was follow my child around and play with them. But I've learned now that. Now she imitates, right? She she looks at us and she imitates. She understands the sounds that animals make and she understands um, how to feed her baby doll water. She doesn't love her baby doll very much, but she knows how to feed her. Someone feed. please call CPS because <laughs> Maya Jane tortures that that poor she that does. poor doll. She does, but she has a little penguin that she'll feed. So, you know, she cares for animals. So that's all we can ask mm-hmm. for is that she has that <laughs> understanding. Um, she won't be a mom, but maybe she'll be a pet owner. Um, Anyway, so speech is kind of, it it does, it's a lot of play. And that's really where I've learned now that it's, 
play is so important to that development and play is so important to learning that imagination, learning to imitate um, and interact. And so her socialization as far as that's concerned is great because she has had a lot of experience with play and imitating. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, and after this interview, I'm gonna share a couple of sound clips because her speech has blossomed since starting the early intervention. As a podcast listener myself, I'm not a fan of ads, so I'll keep this brief. I use Alitu.com to edit and host my podcast and have been a happy customer since 2020. Alitu is extremely user-friendly and saves me a ton of time in editing. The software also does all that technical sound stuff, so I don't have to. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or already have one, check out Alitu with the link in this episode's show notes for a free trial and a discount off your first paid month. Using my link helps to support this podcast, so thanks in advance. And now back to the show. I want real quick for you to share about what happened with Miss Haley. Miss Haley was the classroom teacher of the preschool uh, that Maya Jane goes to, who was like the first one that she interacted with when we put her in preschool. And this teacher resigned to continue her studies and kind of came back to the preschool for an event this past week. And just share, Rachel, about the development that Maya Jane has had since like when we first put her in preschool to what Miss Haley observed her progress in seeing her a couple days ago, just to kind of mm-hmm. show listeners about how all of these different interventions can actually help the child. Cause I thought that was a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Miss Haley was kind of the one who really helped her with signing um, because the speech was still not fully there. And that that is something again that we'll go into as far as the tubes are concerned, but she really helped her learn a lot of signs and would would be just so excited when I would pick her up at the end of the day um, to say she learned you know more and how to say more please and even to this day she still will use those signs correctly um, to indicate what she wants and. She also helped me to learn how much Maya Jane learns through song. Um, she's kind of that wandering child who during center time or circle time wouldn't be sitting down with her class, but Miss Haley really worked with her to sit with her class and um, learn the songs and learn the motions that went along with them. And I really saw how much she developed when it came to using songs and how much she knows the motions to them and... Um, knows what they all mean and and her face just lights up when it comes to music and so i truly attribute that to miss haley because i love music but her having that every day and and seeing these songs that teach about our body parts and teach about um just sitting crisscross applesauce or whatever it may be gracie's (laughs) corner right just how much that helped her development as well. So on Friday, they had a little trunk or treat fall festival event. And I thought when I came to pick her up, it was already going on. It had been going on for a while. I thought she was inside in the classroom. So I was walking in to get her. And another teacher said, Maya Jane's mom, look who came to see Maya Jane. And I look over and there's like a big coloring sheet on the side of the bus. And I see Miss Haley, 
who has been doing her student teaching for her master's degree. She wants to teach history to middle and high school students, which I think is just fantastic because these skills have got to be used. Like she is a fantastic teacher, but I saw her standing there with Maya Jane and Maya Jane's just coloring and they're like talking to each other. It's not a full on like conversation that you would sit here and have as an adult, but in Maya Jane's own way, she's going over the colors that she's coloring with, with Miss Haley. And she's saying the colors of the rainbow and pointing to them. And she's talking about the turtle that's on the page. And it was just truly, my heart was so happy to see this because for one, it's this woman who did not need to come back to this job that she's not getting paid for, <laughs> but she came back because she wants to see her kids and how they're developing. And she came, she left around August. Um, so to see her now in October um, and the development that she's had since then, which I know is a lot of progress that's been made since then, but Miss Haley hasn't gotten to see it until kind of full circle. Mm -hmm. It was very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. So let's talk briefly about the tubes and then I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'll let you go. So uh, I read earlier in this episode, the DSM five TR criteria for speech sound disorder, all of the disorders in the uh, DSM five TR, they have like rule outs. So uh, again, I can't diagnose my own child because bias, but usually you have to rule out other things. So like you have a, a speech sound disorder, you have to rule out the fact that there's nothing wrong with her ears. Or if you say have depression, you have to rule out whether you're taking a medication that causes depression. You always have to make sure that you're eliminating any other potential cause before you give a certain like label. So with Maya Jane, we asked about tubes earlier on mm -hmm. and and so rachel you were more integral with those different appointments and the advocacy part mm -hmm. so just talk about that journey briefly and kind of how once she got the tubes we noticed some improvements in her her speech and stuff like that yeah so that's what i was just about to agree with like no we're not diagnosing our child but out of everyone, you as a parent, us as parents, are the child's number one advocate, right? Like we have a little bit of knowledge as far as development's concerned in a textbook, but even a parent who doesn't, you can advocate for your child because you see them every day. And that was one thing that I found a little bit frustrating. Um, we live in a big city. We have a lot of availability around us as far as children's hospitals and developmental pediatricians and all of that are concerned. They're incredibly hard to access. We're still in that process mm -hmm. of trying to add access a lot of those doctors. Um, wait lists are years long. Like That's it's just healthcare <laughs> and mental health services in general. Right, absolutely. Um, in but, the United States. Right. With two, it was one thing that I was like, I feel like a little bit in a way she talks from a perspective of as though she's underwater. Like when I hear some words, it kind of sounds a little bit like that. And I said, she's never had an ear infection as far as I know, but she has, um, I feel like there's something going on with this. And I mentioned it a few times at the doctor and they said, well, no, she doesn't have an ear infection. She doesn't have an ear infection. So it can't be that. And so I just kept pushing and I said, well, I want to talk to an ears, ear, nose and throat specialist, an ENT doctor and see. 
So we went and got a hearing test done and she was borderline normal. And I was like, okay, but why is she borderline normal? To me that she's a toddler. She hasn't had any trauma to the ear. She hasn't had anything that would bring her down. So why isn't it perfect, right? Like hearing should be perfect if there's no reason why it's not. And I remember this doctor, it, it definitely made me angry. But in the moment she was like, have you tried behavioral modification strategies? To which I said, stay in your lane. Like, <laughs> I need you to speak on the hearing aspect of things, not on her behavior. That's not that's not where you're at, right? That's not your specialty. But I kind of moved past that and started the process of seeing a medical doctor who could actually look into that. And so this doctor did put us again a little bit on a waiting list to say, well, I want to, this is a baseline, right? I want to try it in a couple months to see where she's at. A couple months later, she still had fluid behind her ears, the same amount that she had before. Her hearing was still borderline normal. And he said, all right, let's do, let's do tubes because we'll never know unless we try. So in August, she got tubes put in her ears and she's not exactly where, you know, she should be necessarily, but she is, she has made so much progress. Like that speech mm -hmm. has truly taken off since then. And I truly feel like getting it's... to those two word phrases that she was supposed to technically have at two. Right. Right. She's not under the sea with her words. Like she doesn't, <laughs> she's not, she's not living like she's underwater Shout anymore. Out to the new black <laughs> yes. Um, but, and that has, and she just had a hearing test done a, like a few days ago, a recheck, and the tubes are still in place. They're still doing what they need to do, and her hearing is perfect. And so that's where I sit here and say, be that advocate, right? Because even though mm -hmm. a doctor might say, well, no, she hasn't had ear infections. You're right. But why does she have fluid behind her ears? Why is that not being taken out to potentially increase that hearing? And I have seen just how much more she's been able to progress since having that fluid drained and having the tubes that can help that fluid drain. So, mm -hmm. Thank you for your time. You're my wife, so you're not getting paid for this. Um, <sighs> Darn it. Yeah, the check's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> but before we wrap up with your interview, I want to give you the opportunity to give some advice. What, like, what advice would you give to a parent noticing some of these signs of like speech and motor delay based on our experiences with Maya Jane, like speak to that person who maybe is seeing some signs with a loved one or their own child. Like, what would you say to them having gone through the processes that we've gone through? So I know that people use the phrase, it takes a village so often. And so often I'm like rolling my eyes at that one because um, motherhood, parenthood in general can be very lonely can be very isolating and feel that way um, and for the first two years it was it was very isolating but i have now really come to terms come to um just a belief that get that village you know get those people who are specialized in speech use early intervention it doesn't mean that you are saying there is something wrong with my child or that they will be diagnosed with X, Y, or Z in the future. It just means that you're utilizing 
what is out there and insurance covers it in most circumstances. And if you don't have insurance, we were able to fill out a paperwork that said, hey, here's how much we put towards all of our bills and everything. And the services were free, um, which is fantastic because it can be expensive to utilize The private. one time that my gigantic student loan payment served me well. Yeah, I mean, we make good money, but at the end of the day, like I don't have $50 a week to be paying for private therapy and sometimes more depending on um, who you're going to or what, what kind of things you need to do. So use that village, go to early intervention. And even though it's only available for kids under three years old, it's now transferring to the school. So once she turns three, she will have a speech only IEP um, and she'll go get those speech services at school to just continue to get that. Um, and that's covered by our tax dollars, right? Right, right. So it's, it's you know, when a child is in school, once they start kindergarten, IEPs or individual education plans are available to students who have learning disabilities or other health impairments that are impacting their academics. But prior to kindergarten, since she's not starting that for a few more years, um, there is something called a speech-only IEP, which is a speech-only individualized education plan um, where they will go on a weekly or bi-weekly basis depending on what the evaluation finds and they'll meet with a speech therapist who is hired by the school district and works at the elementary school that she would go to um, and they do the same things that she's been doing but in a school setting right and so early intervention will go to your house or will go to their daycare, whatever you prefer, whatever works for your lifestyle. And they work with them in that setting. But after three years old, they then work with them in a school setting. So that's something that would be starting for her in January um, at her school. And so we're in the process now of evaluating and writing up that IEP for her to have for speech. Great. Well, thank you, Rachel, for your time. Listeners, stay tuned after this interview. I'm going to play a couple of cute clips of some instances where Maya Jane is saying things because who doesn't want to hear a toddler talk? Say bubble, Maya Jane. Where's the bubbles? Look, can you pop, pop? Bubble. Can you say, oh, no? I know. Dinosaur? Wow. Ice cream? Ice cream. Ice cream. I love you. Can you say ice cream? Ice cream. Ice cream. Thank you for listening. Before you go, consider supporting this podcast in some of the following ways. You can buy me a coffee with the link in this episode show notes. You can leave me a five-star review wherever you're listening to this episode. You can follow this show in your favorite app to be notified of new episodes. And finally, you can subscribe by email with the link in this episode show notes. Thank you in advance for your support, and I'll see you next time.